Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I have an absolute peach of an episode for you today. I don't use fruit analogies too much, but I think this one deserves it. I'm joined by Coach Tim Riley. I first met Tim, I think about three years ago. He was dealing with some kind of nasty knee pain, patellar tendinopathy at the time, like me. And uh, I helped him rehab that online. And we've stayed in touch ever since. And it's been cool to watch his development as a coach because he's gone from someone who is kind of unhappy in his job to narrow training professional athletes on a daily basis and doing a phenomenal job with them. So that's really cool. And that's kind of what we spoke about today, training professional athletes, knee pain, knee rehab, exercise selection, how you coach these exercises, what are what our, not just him, but we kind of had a to and fro, what are our favorite exercises, the movement patterns that you should be training and how you structure knee rehab and how you pick the right exercises and how you coach them well. So tons and tons and tons of practical information in there. If you're not even interested in knees, this goes for just movement in general, understanding movement and seeing how people are loading. I think this is honestly a must. Tim also agreed to do a short presentation for our members site. So we're trying to keep all our presentations and my videos that I deliver to people uh, nice and short, like 10 to 15 minutes or five to 15 minutes. We're delivering a couple of episodes, a couple of videos a week to our members there. And basically at the end of the year, if you've watched every single one of my videos that I've, that I've sent you every single week, at least two videos a week, you're going to be pretty smart and you won't have wasted time trying to find the right books to read and watch big long presentations and listen to podcasts and not sure about the information you're even getting so we're trying to keep it short and sharp and um tim has agreed to do a practical version of basically the podcast so just a 10 minute video really just showing the exercises that he's talking about here how he likes to coach him and what can go wrong so if you're interested in that jump over to the member site and watch that but either way you're going to love the podcast please Give Tim a follow, give it a share. That will help the podcast. That's your entry fee is just give us a like and a follow. And um, I hope you enjoy the episode. My brother was taking the lawnmower out of the, out of the shed. <laughs> <laughs> bad start. Bad start. Do you have uh, a bad, bad start? <laughs> is he yeah. older or younger brother? Older. He's, uh, I'm 31. He must be 35 now. So yeah, my brother was always a better athlete than me. Always a bit smarter mm. than me. People liked him a bit more than me. And, uh, <laughs> he's a bit shit. He's a bit <laughs> shit. So yeah, he, uh, I followed, I've like followed my brother's footsteps in a lot of ways. I didn't re- maybe realize I was doing it, but I was doing it. Like he, we went to the same school. We played football, Gaelic football and hurling for the same club, which wouldn't be uncommon, except that the club that we played for wasn't their local club. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, which you're not supposed to do. It's a bit taboo, but we did it anyway. We went to, we both went and did business in, in college. We both did marketing. We both went to work for the same company. Like he did all of these things before me. And I just kind of followed in his footsteps. And now, so we both were in like sales and marketing jobs and stuff like that and then he left he set up a gymnastics gym with his friend and obviously i end up, ended up in this job so we have a very similar career wow. he just did everything a bit better <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and he was a better athlete and i just kept getting injured and he didn't <laughs> so 
So it's literally, it, it feels like a clone just four years behind. A shooter just version. A, a, less, a less, less attractive, less, less liked. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I don't know. I mean, if he's, if he's, you're, you're doing pretty well yourself, David. So I'd imagine he must be doing pretty well. Yeah. He's done, he's done pretty well. You're doing pretty well. I looked at your Instagram right. bio. Yes. It now says, I train pros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to claim this and own it because that's the space that I wanted to work in. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of where I had been growing towards and everything that I'd been doing prior to this point was to get to that place. So, and then something that started happening as I started to have more pro athletes come across my feed is more pro athletes started reaching out to me. And so I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to put, like, I felt like a douche typing it in. Yeah. But then I was like, I, you know what? I don't care. Like, I want, I need people to know, like, this is what I do. This is the space that I'm trying to operate in, at least at this point in my career. And when you go to my page, you know, like, this is what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, I, I fucking love it. I absolutely, <laughs> I love, I love what you're doing because just for obviously people who are listening, but when we first connected, I just helped you a bit with your knee and stuff. But then we were kind of chatting about your business and your career and different things like that. And you were definitely a little bit, felt a bit stuck probably is the word at the time. And a little bit maybe confused as to where you were going with things. Yeah. And, you know, I, so like my journey, especially with like, and, and I remember we got things cleaned up with my knee. And then I remember I reached out to you and I was like, Hey man, I want to hear from your mouth, like, what are the steps you took to get to where you're at? And you were gracious enough to, to meet with me several times and give me some pointers. And because I was stuck. And I think it was multiple things. One, I, I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I don't think that I had quite gotten to the place where I was willing to do the work to get there. And the fact of the matter is, is having a strong social media presence, being active on Instagram and, and in that space, it matters and it makes a huge difference. And from the time we had that conversation, fast forward a year later, you know, my following went from like 1500 to 7,000. But one of the reasons I was able to put myself in a position to be working with pro athletes now was because of the content I was putting out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there could be debate on whether or not what you post on IG actually makes you credible or not. But in the eyes of the people who were willing to put trust in me and hire me, certainly that played a role. Yeah. It, look, it helps you get in the door and then you yep. kind of prove your credibility, like by actually training these people and, and getting results with them. And they tell their friends and then it compounds, it grows and grows and grows, you know. So getting a pro athlete doing a shit job... <laughs> And them not training with you anymore, them getting injured isn't going to work. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you say on Instagram, you know? That's right. No, actually, yeah. maybe not. Even there is some people that are doing that and they just kind of make it look right. But <laughs> Well, I don't even know if they make it look right. Some of the stuff I've yeah. seen going around. But, you know, to your point, I think with any population and word of mouth is such a big player in all of this. You know, once I got one pro guy, he got results. I already have other pro guys now, especially here in the off season for the NFL that are reaching out to me and are coming to visit the facility. And so, yeah, like when I finally got the opportunity to work in that space and someone was trusting me with 
keeping them healthy and helping them improve performance. But there was this moment where I was like, oh man, Tim, don't screw this up. <laughs> right. But, you know, I, I knew that I'd done the work to put myself in a position to be there. So that quickly went away. And once I got into training, it was just yeah. the rest of history. Yeah, man. So it says NFL, MLB, mm. PLL. What's PLL? Pro lacrosse. Ah. You guys have lacrosse over there? Nah, we have hurling. It's much better. <laughs> okay. Significantly <Yes>. better. <laughs> but so, I've never, one, one athlete I've never worked with is a lacrosse athlete. Well, so, there's obviously a few athletes I've never worked with, but definitely not lacrosse. It's a field sport, right? So like, it's from like an endurance level, it's somewhere in between NFL and like a soccer game. Mm -hmm. So, and then there's also like a lot of standing around too, you know? So for me, it was like, I've never played lacrosse, you know? So for me, like those first few sessions were a lot of listening. What's been your experience? What are the things that have helped you? Where do you feel like you can improve? Which may all sound like common sense, but I really tried to be intentional about getting to understand the sport through the mouth of the athlete instead of me just like pulling up a video on YouTube or, or you know, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And it's going well. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm excited about it. And we're starting to get to a place now where we're creating camps and we're going to start having high school kids coming through. And it's a good time. Nice. How, how important do you think it is to understand the sport, excuse me, the sport itself of the athlete that you're working with? I think that it's important that you, the athlete understands that you're making an effort mm -hmm. to understand the demands of the sport. And I also think it's important to be familiar as much as you can, because my mind goes to like the, the this concept of like, sports specific training. And I think as far as energy systems go, like that makes a lot of sense to me, mm -hmm. but there are so many things that just developing strength, developing power, that that's where I'm going to stay in my lane in the weight room. And what I'm trying to accomplish, I'm going to take a look at the things that I feel like are going to be limiting factors for them and bring them up. But I try and stay out of like, I'm not going to have him doing a single leg squat, holding a lacrosse stick. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, there are just things that, that I feel like transfer and don't. And so once I have a general understanding of the demands of the sport, the training, it's not going to shift too much, mm -hmm. at least for field sport athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working with Kate. Uh, you might've seen a couple of posts of her. She's a race walker at the moment. And it definitely helped me understand her body and stuff when she was kind of showing me pictures of her walking, her form and the funny positions that their bodies get into. Like they pretty much have to have, I don't know how much, but like their knee has to be pretty much straight all the time when there's one foot on the floor. I think, I think they've, they, it looks like they, they might get disqualified or whatever if they have a bent knee. So they have to have a straight knee. And like that helps me understand her assessment so much because there's so much extension, like adduction, internal rotation in her, in her body and a lack of the exact opposite things like abduction, external rotation, flexion 
the more we can get her into them positions. So I'm, I'm trying to be as unspecific as possible, the most unspecific mm-hmm. I can. Now, this is a, like, that is a very specific sport. You know what I mean? It's just walking in a straight line and they have to have a certain <laughs> form and stuff like yeah. that. It's very hard on the body, incredibly hard on the body. Um, so I feel like it wouldn't matter too much if a basketball ca- player came to me or NFL, even though I've never played NFL or stuff, I've worked mm-hmm. with some of these people. I did because I played field sport my, sports myself all my life and worked with field sports people. Like I feel like I got that, but then some specific sports, I think it's it's important to know. So you might be able to give them the opposite sim- stimulus, not so you go specific to the sport itself. I think. Yep. You know. Yep. You know what I tell to say to people all the time, where they're like, they have an Instagram, say it's a 500 followers, a thousand followers, and it's been a bit shit. Like some of the posts are a bit shitty. They're not specific on anything. And I think I said this to you as well was within three months, you could have completely overhauled it, rebranded it because someone will only scroll back the last 15 posts. So in 15 days, you could go from this shitty looking trainer who's like, in terms of no Instagram stuff, like, why would I train with that guy to like, these brilliant videos or these brilliant pictures really specific mm-hmm. to the population you want to work with. Someone comes on your page, they're not going to keep scrolling and scroll. 90% of people won't. Like you can yeah. kind of overhaul your brand and stuff, but you, you actually have to take that, that jump and say like, you have to get past, past that imposter syndrome and that comfort yeah. level and actually just fucking do it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you probably got to a point where you just said, I'm just going to actually do this now. Well, you know, I was watching other people who you, you being one of them. I remember the first time I heard you speak, it was on just fly mm-hmm. uh, sports performance podcast. This has got to be three years ago three years now, ago. David. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I followed you and you maybe, I think you had like 2,500 mm-hmm. followers or something like that. And then I started working with you closely after that. And I just watched this meteoric rise. And really it was. Joel helped me. with that. Joel's podcast helped with that so much. I mean, I mean, dude, you, you know, you went, and that's just a, a perfect example of someone who's qualified, right? Like you have the knowledge, you've got the goods. You, you can really impact people and make a difference, but you were putting yourself in positions to be successful. So when that opportunity, you know, showed up, boom, you know, you hit the ground running. And when I saw that happen with you and having a real personal, cause you know, it, it all seemed out there. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I see these people getting successful and, and one, I didn't understand the potential financial implications, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of what having a, a healthy, involved following can do for you as a coach, the kind of influence and impact that you can have on people. I didn't, it, it didn't register because I didn't know anyone personally who had been able to experience that. Yeah. And uh, watching you go from 2,500 followers to however many you have now and all the success you've had with your basics programs, it was a delight was switched. I was like, I know what I have to offer. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one keeping me yeah. from having the level of success and impact in this industry that I that I want to have. Yeah. Because you don't, it's hard, it's it is hard to get to see other people's journey along the way. And then you look at someone who's up here and it's like, oh well, they're just in your mind, it's like they're just special or they're just yeah. they they did something that I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. But when you're kind of close to someone and you see a bit of their journey along the way, it's like, that's a normal person that's 
no more charismatic no there's no special quality here that's yep. that's that's leading to this it's just consistency and a bit of pair of balls sometimes and and good yes. and good knowledge like you know so that's that's what's important that's what they talk about in Sil- silicon valley all the time people move to silicon valley it's not that this is some, some special place or whatever they just move mm-hmm. there and they're starting to be surrounded by all these other tech people who have big ideas Everyone's just listening to each other, being influenced by each other, and you're you're just dragged along from the for the ride. That yes. that's that's why your network is so important to actually have not just look at people, but actually connect with people. For me, like paying someone, whoever it is, for a call or or a chat or something like that is if if you're serious about actually growing, like finding someone who you think is doing something that you like would like to do, like you did with me. Now, that was more to do with like your knee at the time, obviously, but that experience, in my opinion, and putting yourself in those situations, going to workshops, people won't pay for a workshop or a course. It's like you might learn one thing here that will completely skyrocket your results with this type of population, or you Mm -hmm. might just meet one person who completely changes your or influences your given gives you the motivation or whatever it is to, to, to go on. So like you have to you have to put yourself in situations and then it's just about following through from there. Yeah. And I, you know, a, a reoccurring theme in my life and in my career has been, I have to be willing to be comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and doing the things that, you know, and, and, and having fear of uncertainty, like walking through that stuff. And I think perseverance and having consistency are like the crux of that, right? Because there's been so many times where I'm walking through a phase where I'm trying to get my Instagram off the ground. I'm going through the job transition process, going from working at, the, at this corporate setting to you know this high-level pro athlete setting. Like being willing to walk through the uncertainty, I think is really what separates people. And, and what you said about Silicon Valley is, you know, now I'm in this space where I am around these high-level athletes and all these coaches that coach these high high-level athletes, and I, I'm beginning to see. You know, these people that I used to look at and say like, man, that guy, he's got the special, he's got the secret sauce. Like he's doing something and I'm getting out there training with him. And now I'm, I'm I, you know, there'll be moments where I'm like, why the fuck is he doing that? You know, <laughs> like, there's been this shift where, you know, I, I've gotten into this space. I see that the degrees of separation mm-hmm. are at least the way that I had them in my mind are not there. And mm-hmm. really the only limiting factor and that goes for the business world as well. I trained a client who was VP for HashiCorp and they just went public. And I get an opportunity to pick his brain. And he's clearly a brilliant dude. And sometimes he'll, he'll be talking. He's just running circles around me. But I, I recognize now being around these, these high-performing people and high-performing athletes that they, they just took the chance. They just did the work. And a lot of people just aren't willing to take the chance. And aren't willing to do the work, or in or the first time they're they're met with failure, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, what surprised you with, let's say, some of the well, any of the athletes, but maybe an NFL athlete or whatever. Mm-hmm. What were you like as good at them? That's the first. Yeah. You. So, um, like, I think that just because these guys are big and they're strong and they're fast, like you assume that they're going to have some competency with some movement patterns. And that's just not the case. Like these guys 
in a lot of cases, and I'll speak specifically with the NFL guys, are in the league in spite of whoever their strength coach was. <laughs> I mean, they are not even in spite. And, and these guys would have made it there without that guy. You know, like, that's it, it's, it's very clear to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be able to make an impact. Mm-hmm. But these guys are here not because of anybody or any input one coach or any, like, these guys are here because they are NFL athletes, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I can lift more than some of the guys. I can be a little quicker, believe it or not, than some of these guys. I can jump higher than some of these guys. And it means dog shit because what they're able to do when they step on that football field is what makes them special. Yeah. Now here's the cool thing. And it's, it's funny because there's so many parallels and this is going to might ruffle some feathers, but it's, it's, the, it's the truth. There are so many parallels with what I see the biggest areas of opportunity for gen pop clients as for pro athletes. Mm-hmm. And people don't like to hear that because especially people who train pro athletes, because Oh, you know, it feels like you're reducing your role or something, but it it is the truth. There are so many constants that I see between the two. And uh, the the biggest one being is where can this guy, where, what what does the focus of his training need to be? What's going to help him the most right now? And then you just get out of their way Mm -hmm. for the most part. I have two things to say. One, you know that you see the video of LeBron squatting. Yes, exactly. That, in my opinion, that strength coach that works with him has probably kept LeBron fit or whatever, healthy for longer by not fucking him up, doing yeah. stupid things. And that squat, like, it's not doing good things, but it's not, it's just, it's not even a squat. And <laughs> no, like, it's not. I think it's certainly, it's, the stimulus isn't intense enough to make much change at all. Or negative or positive. So like, <laughs> half the time, I think this sports specific stuff that the, the, the best athletes are doing, it's, mm-hmm. it's not any trade. It's not like negative or positive. They're just, they're just getting a little bit of a moving around and yeah, strength coaches won't like this either, but like, it's, it's not all strength coaches, but the vast majority of stuff that you see in the strength and condition is dog shit. And yeah. it, people are, people are moving like crap, like, and feeling crap and athletes just feel jacked up all the time. Just don't do that. And some of these athletes are going to be so successful. Well, so I, I'm going to humble brag here, but I took an athlete and he was unsigned at the beginning of the season. And, uh, I took over his training just, Individually, like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in charge of this guy now, and I simplified things. I got rid of all the nonsense. So there's no bells and whistles here. We're sprinting, we're jumping, we're lifting. When we're lifting, I'm redirecting him as little as possible mm-hmm. to put him in positions to train the qualities that I want to train. And by the time he got picked up, the best forty time, the best broad jump that he had ever had was at his pro day. Right. So at, at, at the draft, actually, he matched both of those when he went and tried out. And this, you know, his, his draft was six years ago. So why did that happen? And, and I spent plenty of time thinking about this. I'm like, okay, it's not because my training is so fucking special that this happened. I think it's more of I was able to remove a lot of the nonsense, focus on the things and only the things. And this is, of course, subjective still but focus on only the things that I know he's going to be asked to do and what things are going to help him do that and nothing else. And 
again, I mostly got out of his way. If he was doing something egregious, we're not going to allow that to happen, right? Because I, mm-hmm. you know, do no harm. Like I'm here to keep him healthy and on the field first. And then also close second to that, what can I do to get him stronger and faster, right? Yeah. Yeah. The second thing, actually, that, that must have felt better than sending emails in Lifetime, was it? Much better. <laughs> yeah. He came back from Green Bay and he was like, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. And I was like, what's up? And he told me, he was like, yeah, I, I matched my fastest 40 time and I matched my best broad jump and my best vert jump. And uh, I, the, the validation you know, that you get from that, from hearing that, because that's, it is why I do it. And, and I saw the look on his face. I saw how happy he was, man. And I just, I knew that I had done what I needed to do to put him in a position to make a team. You know, mm-hmm. he, he didn't have a job, man. Mm-hmm. Like that's what, that's what that in season training is all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot better than, you know, having to field a phone call about a pissed off customer because my, one of my trainers was five minutes late, five minutes late to a session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And now you'll always like, if you, if you were watching him playing or whatever, you'll always have that feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. now look, things can go up and down and stuff like that, but you'll have a little bit, uh, you'll be bought into him and you'll be able to watch it and stuff. And you, like, you're not, you're not the S and C coach who's like, I'm responsible for this thing or anything like that. But at the same time, you're kind of, you have this like little bit of internal, like you're proud of what you did. Like, you know, I, I, I had an opportunity to play a part, a small part in putting him in a position to be successful. And like, you know, I, I was just, essentially the way I like to look at it is I'm able to lay this toolkit at the feet of this athlete. It's up to them whether they pick it up or use it. And whether they do or don't, it's, it's got nothing to do with me. But um, yeah, it's, it's a special thing. Cool, man. What are the parallels that you said between like Gen Pop and those athletes then that you think need to be trained? Yeah, so movement strategies, for sure. It's funny, especially I have yet to work with an NFL guy who can't benefit from getting into a stacked position and getting a more knee dominant squat. Not mm-hmm. one, not yet. I've never um, met a person ever. Right, exactly. And that was my next point. Like, you know, those two, that's the first one. That's the big one where it's like, I'll have a guy where I'm trying to get an idea of where his strengths at, what, what movement strategy is he using to operate? And anytime I get them into a squat position, and that's why if you go to my Instagram and you look, Almost all of my videos have some sort of heel elevation and I'm using a safety bar or something that's going to bias them to allow for those positions to, to hit the positions I want to train the, the muscles that, that I feel like need to be trained. And uh, that's, that's the first big one. And then also too, just general uh, movement competency. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where it's like, I can ask a guy to do a lateral lunge, do a lateral lunge. I'm going to show you what a lateral lunge looks like. This is what I think it looks like. And then what happens next? I'm like, dude, I know you just watched me do this. That's not what I did. You know what I mean? And, and just <laughs> giving them like, and, and now, and now here's here, but here's the culture, right? It's like a lot of, and again, like, you know, they're, they're where they're at because of the God given talent and ability that they have. Right. 
But I think in football, and it's like this in other field sports as well, as well, where it's like you've got 60 or 40 guys on a workout floor. You know, the culture is just like, hey, are they getting the work in? And like that technical piece isn't quite as important. And in fairness, like, I mean, they made it to the league, right? Mm -hmm. But when I have an opportunity to work with them in that smaller, more intimate setting, I can just put them in positions, maybe slow things down a little bit and get into positions that we're actually trying to get into. And it's not as inherent as one might believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think for, for most coaches, like if you, if you're really good at understanding the squat pattern, actually understanding what a squat is like. It's a vertical displacement of your mass up and down. So now I need to set them up in the right way to help them, help people do that. A squat shouldn't look, not shouldn't, but like a, it's, there's nothing wrong with training a, a hingy looking squat. It's just not a squat really anymore. Right. So like, that's what a squat should look like when you're doing a, a, a lateral movement or something. You just get very clear on one thing to get clear on for me, at least. And I try and help people get clear on is the foot pressure type of stuff without going into crazy amount of detail, but mm-hmm. like, is the heel on the floor, where are they pushing from that type of thing that cleans up so much stuff. And that's why the slant board is helpful. And if you just start to like understand movement by movement by movement, what, uh, you do, I know everyone self-organization is a big thing. Like everyone will do things different way, but there is like a textbook example in your own mind of what that could look like. Yes. You just work towards that. And it doesn't matter what type of athlete you're working with. Like if you can nail those things, I think you'll start to see improvements in mobility, strength and transferability in terms of how they actually go and jump and run. I I genuinely think those movements will make a difference in that. I really, really do. I really feel strongly about that. Well, I agree 100% because I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen it uh, and I've seen it and I've seen it happen pretty quickly. And, you know, one of the movements that I, I really love to put them in a position to be able to really bias the quad make it a knee butt dominant movement, get vertical displacement is a safety bar, single leg squat. And usually initially with sort of a hat field situation, right? Mm-hmm. So they can really manage where their body is in space and focus on going straight up and straight down. And one of the easiest cues, and this has been the best cue that I kind of started telling myself long before I started hammering this stuff home first with Gen Pop and now, you know, with the pro guys is push the knee forward to go up. And mm-hmm. and what that has done that I've seen is instead of me coaching, okay, I want you trying to push through the midfoot and then explaining what a midfoot is and where it is and where you should feel that, or, you know, or anything like that. By that happening, by them pushing their knee forward as they go to reverse the weight back up into the concentric portion of the movement, because of that intention, the weight automatically shifts into the midfoot mm-hmm. and then the knee sticks and the hip is able to come up and over the top. And for some people, that's it. That's all they need. And then then let the self-organization, then I can step out of the way, right? Mm-hmm. And if they don't get it there, the next thing is like, I'll just put my hand in front of the knee and I'll say, your hand can't, your knee can't leave my hand. So once they descend into that bottom portion of the movement, the knee will push forward. And once the knee meets my hand, as they come back up, the goal is for them to try and keep their knee to my hand as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And two reps of that, and they've got it. Yeah, it's unreal. So good. And it's not that you want more knee flexion as they come up. It's just that you don't want knee extension as early. So you just, just want a bit want... of hip extension before the knee extension. 
Yeah. And I, you know, it's like I'm holding it right like the entire time until yeah. like just as that hip is coming up and over the top, keep that knee stuck here in place. And then I mm-hmm. remove that. Mm-hmm. And every single time, and then you can ask questions again that are that are common sense to me, where it's like, hey, where are you feeling that? And a lot of times guys are like, well, I'm not sure. So I'll I'll have them push the knee forward and it'll be a resounding real quick. Oh, I feel that in my quad. The quad is lit the hell up. It is lit, right? They've never felt that before. It's like, I'll watch them do a set of squats their way. And like, they don't even have a quad pump, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all glutes and and maybe a little bit of hams Mm -hmm. or just erectors. Lower back. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah. But that's why the biomechanics is important to understand and not just like with the training stimulus in general, your quads, but obviously you're someone who has had jumpers, knee, tether tendinopathy and worked with people in that. And people say it's not a like biomechanics aren't important. They are important to help you get the stimulus into the tendon. And if you keep giving someone a squat and they keep using their back muscles and don't push their knee forward, Biomechanics are definitely important because you ain't loading that tendon, not a chance. So I'll go on a a quick story about my own journey with that. And I see it showing up in in the pro athletes too, because NFL players get jumper to see too. They just don't, they don't know that that's what it's called. Right. And uh, I started to develop jumper's knee and I started doing it because I was, I I started low bar back squatting and I'm still playing basketball and I'm doing all this field, field stuff. But, you know, to your point, when I was coming up, my mentors and the people I learned from and what I was, and at the time, what was considered the right thing to do for sport training was to not do any isolated movements, right? Because that's bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no quad, no leg extension, no sissy squats, no nothing like that. And then also too, you got to lift with your hips. You got to have strong hips. If you have strong hips, you're going to be a powerful athlete, right? And you don't want to be quad dominant, mm-hmm. you know? Because ACLs, yeah. right? And so I started to develop this knee pain. I'm like, oh gosh, I gotta, I gotta take the load off my quads. I gotta start doing less so that I can rest these knees up so that they can get better. And the problem, you can see where this is going, got way worse yeah. and rapidly. And I, I couldn't figure it out. Now, gratefully, I've things have changed and I've learned and I've grown since that time, right? And I no longer have knee pain. But I see that same sort of situation playing itself out every single day, especially when I get new guys coming in. I have someone I'm getting prepared for his pro day currently. And me and Daniel Bach are actually tag teaming it. I'm doing his strength work. He's doing all the speed and plyometric work. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. We're having a good time. But we had him come in and I had him work up to a heavy single on a deadlift, a heavy single on a squat, because I wanted to see under tension... What, what is he leaning to? What strategies does, does mm-hmm. he have? And he's 6'3", real strong hips. And even before I got him under the lifts, I was like, oh, I know how this is going to go because I'm looking at his legs and he's got very little quad development, mm-hmm. virtually none. I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen here. And sure enough, he goes to show me a squat and it looked, you know, people talk about like a squat looking like a good morning. It was a good morning. I mean, like there was almost yeah. no knee bend until vertical shin. His 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 spine was parallel to the floor, and as he descended, he only bent his knees so that he, because he absolutely had to at that mm-hmm. point, right? I elevated his heels a significant amount, just and we worked up to the heaviest weight he could, and he was shot. 
mm-hmm. right? So low-hanging fruit for him, right? Not even from a tendon health perspective. He has no problems with his knees. Mm-hmm. But he's not jumping as high as he could. Mm-hmm. You know, he deadlifted 600 pounds. He couldn't even get a, a one and a half times body weight squat, right? Yeah. And the limiting factor is the quads. He just, he's yeah. never trained a true squat pattern. Yeah. I have so many things to say about that. <laughs> this is about 16 podcasts like I do on what you just said. Like <laughs> one, when, when, I first, when I first worked with you, we just did like a body weight split squat. Your quad mm-hmm. was destroyed. Smoked. Right. Smoked. You were in a ton of extension at the time, like back extension, tons. You're going to lose like range of motion to hips and, and stuff as a result. So what you said about the squat, the, the stacked, like teaching everyone to stack, teaching everyone to stack, yet you don't have to teach it that much if you can teach them how to actually flex their knees, right? Because they stay stacked. They don't end up in a good morning keeping a vertical shin. Secondly, if you teach someone to push their knee forward, they are going to have to pronate their foot a little bit, not like a big E version. So the knee goes forward. There's a little bit of pronation to get that push. So people try and help with people's knees and tight lower backs and hip mobility. And yet they tell them to squat by pushing their knees out, which limits dorsiflexion, limits pronation, limits knee flexion, limits load on the quad and the patellar tendon and stops them being able to actually stack. Mm -hmm. Right? Thirdly, (laughs) I'm a big, big fan of leg extension work for patellar tendon, as you are. So important, right? It's the easiest way to get low through the tendon. It's it's hard to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. But I'm still a biomechanics guy as well when it comes to the tendon because I think if you're not teaching someone how to actually squat, bend their knees, like load this pattern, you're robbing people of 10 years of good training. And yeah. that's the danger, my danger with the leg extension because your knees will feel amazing if you have patellar tendinopathy and you just commit to doing leg extension for three or four weeks, two weeks, one week your knees will feel way better. And the danger is you just keep doing that. And then like on the side, I do all my shitty squats. Like you have to address how <laughs> yeah. they actually move. And that's, that frustrates me a lot of the time because the research doesn't support that. Like you just load the tendon, but I have to understand biomechanics of how I load the tendon, which means I have to be able to teach someone to bend their knees. Right. And, and they, and they won't bend their knees like there is an ar- the counter argument to that is they're not bending their knees. They're not squatting in that way because the tendon is sore. Mm-hmm. I agree with that in some ways, but even after you've done loads of ISOs, the tendon starts to feel good. They will still squat in that way. 100%. You know, so 100%. That's my, that's my three of the well, 17 things. So I, to piggyback off of that, the way I've prioritized it and the way that I that I was able to have success, recovered from my knee pain. And then when I started taking knee pain, specifically jumpers, knee pain clients, if there's anything else, I'd send them to you, you know? Because <laughs> uh, again, you know, it's, I'm going to stay in my lane. If, if mm-hmm. I've got some experience that I know that might be helpful, great. If I can't, I've got this guy, David, he'll zoom you. He's in Ireland. So getting them to understand what kind of movement is going to be required to put them in a position to you know, recover from this pain or improve performance. And usually, and you talked about people who it's like a chicken or the egg situation, right? Are they squatting this way because they have pain or because they have been utilizing this movement strategy, they are now experiencing pain because there's no load going through the tendon. And if they go to do anything that is more intense 
than that squat movement, walking downstairs, running down a hill, landing from a jump. They're getting this flare up, mm-hmm. right? And I used to mull that over like this chicken or the egg scenario. And then what I found just through trial and error and training is like the chicken or the egg, you know, what came first for me, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't fucking matter. Here's what works. Like I need to get you moving body weight straight up and down, getting the need to flex and extend appropriately. And then all that stuff that you talked about, like the leg extension stuff, that's all icing on the cake. Like that's, that's like the fine tune work that I can come in on the back end and get a real direct stimulus. But first things first, globally, I want to get you capable of moving into those positions. Sometimes it requires doing the leg extensions first to help get you out of that little bit of pain just enough so that you feel safe moving into those squat positions. Because I have noticed too, where it's like, if someone is just feeling pain and over and over again in a certain position, even if they're hitting the right, and everyone's different, even if they are hitting good positions, it's actually not that helpful to them. No. Because they're still associating it with it being a painful movement. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the only scenario where I would say introducing a leg extension first for mm-hmm. some people might be useful or helpful. Mm-hmm. And then, but it gets back to priority one. Let's you got to get squatting and lunging in a way. That's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, how, it. it's how you get there. There's different ways of getting there, but you gotta mm-hmm. get there. Yeah. I don't think enough people get there. You yeah. know. What are you doing on the leg extension? Have you have you found like a right a right amount at the moment or or what what do you think? You know, so and we don't even have a leg extension in my gym. Yeah, I'm devastated. I have like a few I have a few cool setups that we can use, but I don't have one. So what I've been doing in lieu of the leg extension, now here's the other thing too. I'm not taking on as many in-person, you know, jumpers knee clients per mm-hmm. se. And most of them were were gen gen pop. You know, the NFL guys are like, yeah, my knee hurts, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's not, a, you know, they don't go, they're like, yeah, I saw the PT and they gave me some stuff to do. And like, they just mm-hmm. played through it, man. Mm-hmm. And so, but now when I, I get them, I'm like, it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. But so what I've been doing to, to replace the leg extension has been a combination of that knee dominant lunge that I use with the safety squat bar or dumbbells or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Just get in the right position. You're going to get what you're looking for. And then once there's, once they're able to get a handle on that, it's the sissy squat. So the knees over toes, uh, sissy squat and, uh, Oh, Hey, have you ever heard of uh, Ben Patrick or the knees over toes guy? He was yeah. just on Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I got asked that probably 10 times this past week. Yep. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that sissy uh, also, squat was the was the thing that first, probably one of the first things that I I realized. Probably a lot of things helped my knees. Now you know when you say like the NFL guys are like, "Oh, my knee hurts. I'm just going to get on with it." I did yep. that for like seven years until I could not get on with it. The yep. analgesic effect was gone. I was <laughs> I, I can I have a <laughs> I have a, me- a distinct memory of playing uh, trying to trying to do a warm up trying to do a half a session, probably 30 minutes of a session uh, uh-huh. football with our, with our county team. I could not fucking run. That was when I, I, I realized I am gone here. Yeah. Because for seven years, my, I could warm up. My knee would feel okay. Yep. I would still be guarding it. I would still be running like shit, but like I could get through sessions. I could play 
if it was more than three days a week, it started to get particularly nasty, like three hard training sessions on the field. It got pretty nasty, but that was gone. So I would say like a lot of those, a lot of those players will end up at that place depending on how hard they're pushing it. So, but just be, just being okay enough is a bad place to be. So I've, I've got some cool stuff. I think that you're going to find interesting. So when I have NFL players who present that, the cool thing is, is like getting them enough. It doesn't take long for them to get to a place where like, yeah, man, he's not, not really bothering me that much anymore. But there is an interesting phenomenon that I first observed in myself and then in my gym pop clients, now my NFL guys, whatever side, there's usually a side that's, that's more effective than the other, or, and even more than that, let me back up. There's usually, it's usually one leg. It's mm-hmm. usually not both. It's usually no. one and almost always that same side leg, the quad is more atrophied than the other side. And now here's what I think you're going to enjoy and maybe get to nerd out with me here. I'll get them on a foam roller bridge. And that same side leg, if I do the other leg first, the, the strong knee, the, the, the pain-free knee first, their first time getting on, maybe they can go 20 or 30 seconds, right? And if you haven't done a foam roller bridge correctly, <laughs> and uh, for your first time, if you lasted 30 seconds, my hat's off to you. I get them on the right leg. Let's say, for example, it's the right leg that has pain, and they won't last 10. No. Immediate cramps. Either the calf or hamstring or both cramp up entirely. And uh, I've always found that fascinating because that, that was my experience as well. That's also, too, why I do feel like, yeah, the first, the easiest, lowest hanging fruit when it comes to tendon stuff is going to be a load tolerance thing, a strength thing. But running directly parallel to that, and here comes the chicken or the egg thing, is this a co-contraction issue first? Mm-hmm. You know? Where obviously this hamstring and calf aren't coordinating appropriately. They're not, they're not working together in a way that we need it to. And now it's creating a situation where we get knee pain and then the quad is beginning to atrophy and weaken. Or is it reverse? Is it something happened to the quad? Now I'm avoiding using this leg a certain way. That's interrupting my body's ability to co-contract appropriately. Either way, it doesn't matter really how we got there too much because mm-hmm. I've found that to undo that big mess of stuff that I just talked about, you have to do all of it. Just do it. All. <laughs> you have to do all of it. Do it. All. I, you, you've got to. So, and I, I didn't want to let that go unsaid. Where I'm just doing leg extensions, or I'm just mm-hmm. having them squat appropriately. Like, no, like on the back end of that, what's running parallel to that is a lot of the foam roller bridge stuff, mm-hmm. where we're getting a co-contraction at the knee to help stabilize, and that runs side by side with everything that I do with the strengthening of the quad and, and the focus on the knee dominant squats. Mm-hmm. It's just good movement. It's just training, like getting strong everywhere and good movement. I think the fo- if you just did a foam roller bridge with someone who had jumper's knee, did it for two or three weeks, didn't do any quad loads any more than they'd already be doing, the knee would still feel better. Yes, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I did it with you. Yeah. So when I, when I first initially started working with you, I was so done with the, the quad stuff. I was yeah. so done with, with anything that I was doing. I only did your stuff, right? So I was only doing co-contraction work. And I, I don't know that we were doing any quad work initially. Yeah, first, I think it was first just, few sessions, probably not. Because I take the easiest, lowest hanging fruit first and see what mm-hmm. happens. I think I was doing, I was doing the slouch mm-hmm. and I was doing a foam roller bridge. In fact, I couldn't even do a foam roller bridge at first. You had me doing a, a bilateral reverse plank 
because I was just, I couldn't even get through five seconds, right? But the first two, three weeks, my knee pain was better. And it, it didn't make any sense because I was like, I'm supposed to just do isometrics for this knee and my quad. And that's what's supposed to work, right? And so it kind of took everything I thought I understood around what was happening and flipped it on its head. And then once I got to a place where I was able to demonstrate those movements with a little bit of literacy and for longer than 20 seconds, you started introducing the quad stuff. And then I took it with the equipment. I think just naturally, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to take it the next step further. I'm going to get on that hack squat and make it very quad dominant. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be my main movement for the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to hammer these things for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, over time, yeah, you man. know, hack squat is so good. It's so good. Unbelievable. I would. Yeah. If I could choose one piece of equipment to have, I, I need a cable machine, like a nice cable machine, like a Kaiser or something like that. I'd love one of them, but I'd probably choose a hack squat. So I, I would too. And even more so like, so I'm, I'm begging with ownership at my gym to get a hack squat in mm-hmm. because I have these big, tall, long-limbed a- athletes and just being able to put them... And I, this gets me onto the machine thing. And you already know where I am with the machine. I love machines. <laughs> I'm, not gonna lie. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Machines I, are unbelievable. I love them and they get shit on and it drives me crazy because it's, it's, it, you know, ultimately it's, it is not the tool that makes or breaks you or gets you some magical results. There's all this stigma around certain movements and it, it's a tool. How you use it dictates its function, right? And its effectiveness. And with a, with a hack squat in my mind, right? And, and I guess this comes down to what your definition of what a squat should look like, right? But you and I have similar definitions. And when I think about a, what a hack squat a- offers and your ability to ensure those positions are being hit mm-hmm. safely, and then intent can go through the roof, stop it. Like what? Give me a better option. And there's a nice reference for the back, like for staying stacked, all these things. So good. It's almost like a, it's almost like a half bodybuilding it's almost it's a half machine, half squat. Yes, it is. Perfect. Which is is basically uh if you had to sum up my training and <laughs> like, you know, at least for me personally, like that, there there could not be a better molding of the two. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm working on the hack squat angle because you know, being able to throw my NFL guys on that yeah. and not have to worry. And then if I'm doing a contrast or something. I'll go hack squat and then all the other stuff. Yeah. The foam roller bridge, I'll go back to it for one sec. I think the, the, the quad issues came first or the, the tendon issue came first. Then they don't actually get into that mid, nice mid stance position when they run as much. They're almost trying to like use their leg as a poker then and, and push off back. Say I have right knee pain, which I did. Like it's like mm-hmm. a poker and it's pushing me back over to the left side. Uh, and I'm not getting that, that distal hamstring or, yeah, it's probably not getting loaded as much. The gas drops aren't getting loaded as much. The soleus isn't getting loaded as much. You're just not trying, you're trying not to bend the knee as much. Now, obviously, if you're sprinting or whatever, you shouldn't be bending the knee a ton anyway. Like, but, mm-hmm. but some bend, but anyone who's had like really bad jumpers knee, you'll try and keep that knee as straight as possible when you run yep. or when you jump and stuff. So I think that's what probably affects the intermuscular coordination then and the synergies and the co-activation there, I think probably. I do like Alex Natera's work as well, where he does like a knee iso push where you get into that bent knee position 
and does an overcoming isometric pushing up into a bar. But that's that's more like once once I've done a lot of the other stuff, I start to get in there and and I think it can drive a lot of intent. Like there's just push as yes. hard as possible through that foot. But it's not uh, it's not the low hanging fruit, definitely. But I think it is another way to stress that coordination. How did the how did the NFL guys get on with like home roller bridge and stuff? Are they strong at it? No, I've got some awesome videos of guys. It's 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 become like this thing. Like like uh, I I enjoy getting people on there for the first time, and I I don't. I'm just like yeah, I got this exercise. And we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna finish with this. We're gonna finish with this isometric here at the end here today, and I demonstrate it, and I just don't say a word. And uh, the, the, I find that the biggest thing people avoid is actually getting the calf engaged, mm-hmm. you know? So you, it becomes more of just like this passive, I'm just hanging in there thing. But if you keep people honest and make sure that heel stays up and that the calf is, is really showing up to the party, the, the grimaces and the facial expressions yeah. <laughs> that come next. And it's a humbling experience, right? Because like, you know, I've got a guy who can deadlift 600 pounds and then you get on that thing and it's, incapable cannot complete the exercise day one right Mm -hmm. but it's also cool to see how quickly they can start getting it oh it's It's not like a gen pop client a a lot of the times Mm -hmm. where it takes session after session it's two three sessions in and and i think it's a lot of it is just the competitive nature Mm -hmm. because most of the stuff i do this yeah i'll have two guys side by side right (laughs) doing this and i'm not going to drop before him you know and so they're able to to channel that and use it in a positive way, and and uh, they'll they'll get from you know fifteen to forty five seconds over the course of the session. The the key thing to understand what it is at the ankle, it's all, it's more like an overcoming isometric to try mm. and push down there. And the plantar flexion mm. is like an overcoming isometric force, but then it's more yielding at the knee and the hip. So what they'll do instead is instead of pushing down through the foot and the ankle hard and plantar flexing, they're trying to extend up through the back. So it's yep. almost like they're trying to do like an overcoming type of movement at the at the lower back. And then there's no act, activity or whatever going on at the ankle. And it's the exact opposite we're trying to train. That's why I get frustrated. Not frustrated, but some people tag me in their front roller bridges and I'm like, I can't reshare that. <laughs> <laughs> now, sometimes I do reshare it because some, you know, you, you want to give someone, some people a G up, but sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I noticed that do like, but a lot of the times the first strategy people will go to, it's almost like they're doing a single leg hip extension yeah. and their foot just happens to be on a foam roller mm-hmm. situation, you know, and really, you know, by, okay, I'll say drop your hips, just barely get your butt off the ground, hardly at all, mm-hmm. get the calf going. And now relax, stop straining yeah, your neck, neck you yeah, know, pecs, yeah. and it's, it's pretty fantastic what happens when you get them, if they can get to a place where they're, they're, they are relaxed in the face and in the neck. And it's almost like the intensity inherently goes up through the hamstring and through the calf so much more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a research page at the physio page, probably a month ago. I forgot about this until right now. They were talking about like doing a bridge with lifting your heel off the floor and doing like a glute bridge exercise. And they were trashing it, right? Trashing it. Like, <laughs> oh, these evidence-based people, oh, all the load, like you're just trying to make two exercises into one, like a calf raise, but doing a, a glute bridge and blah, 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 blah. And all the, all the load goes onto the shoulders when you, when you lift up the, he- the heel like that and you lift up the hips. 
And it like it had like 200 comments of evidence-based physios laughing uh-huh. at this stuff. Now it wasn't a foam roller bridge or whatever. And I was just like, I'd love to, I'd love to get every single one of you to do this exercise. Do well. it. Yes. Do the exercise. Yeah. Well, know? where you actually the key is not to lift your hips up as high as possible. That's what they don't right. understand. Yeah. Because the higher you lift the hips, the more the whole load goes on the shoulders. The more I lose use my back. Keep your hips fucking low. Do it in the right position and then tell me it's a shit exercise. Right. It's dumb, dumb goes like idiots wreck my head. Um, anyway. Oh, one, one other thing then that you kind of brought up earlier, knee dominant versus hip dominant. Yeah. So that athlete that you were saying about the, the squat, like the back squat, and it's, it's very much a hinge. You're going to have to fight your corner here. I don't, yeah. I don't love classifying people like that. You know, I, I've heard you discuss that before. And I think we had a conversation briefly on on what I the lens I look at it, the terminology I use for what would be hip and knee dominant. I think you actually have it flip flop, like where I say someone is hip dominant in the sense that when they are let's and let's use the squat for simplicity, right? They're loading into the heels, they're pushing the hips back, and then they're using that same strategy to come up and use the low back and hips to lift the weight back up. Mm-hmm. That is what I'm classifying or what I'm choosing to call hip dominant. dominant. Yeah. But, and I, I wrote about this in my knee program and I learned that from Daniel, that, that sort of just terminology. And however, and jump in at any time. if I No, 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 you go. <laughs> but I know where you're coming from and the sense of it actually being knee dominant. And the reason being is because the thing that is initiating that weight to load back into the hip is the knee opening prematurely. Extending, right? yeah. Extending yeah. prematurely and sitting that weight back into. And so from a biomechanics man, David, which you are, if that is the crux of the problem, then that also makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I think but, that's just bad. Move, like not bad. I don't like the word use the word bad. It's just not great movement. Yeah. Well, stop rather than being hip or knee because that person doesn't use the hips much either. They just use their lower back. True. I think I can, uh, I can get down with that. Mm-hmm. You know, look, it's, I think- it's pedantic. Like it's, it's, it's just, it's just words. Like, you know, we, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just words, but I just do have a, not a problem. I, I don't, it doesn't matter. And I don't think, I actually don't think people are wrong calling that athlete a hip dominant athlete. I understand mm-hmm. the sentiment behind it. But like the better I get at actually letting my shin drop forward, the better I actually use my hip because I'm going to get mm-hmm. that hip extension, not just in a squat, but like in, in sprinting, I'm going to get that co-contraction around the knee joint, which allows for hip extension to come first. And to your point, one thing I've noticed too is that a guy that would mostly feel low back and hips in a squat movement, as they're getting to the top of that movement where the hip is coming to the top, you can feel and see, I can visually see their glute showing up to the party. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, to your point, I think for me, what it's become is just an easy way for me to, to sort of get Classify. an idea of mm-hmm. what, what do I need to go after mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I'm also very careful to go to an athlete and say, you're hip dominant. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's like, there's this whole psychological piece. It just doesn't like, matter. It you've doesn't been matter. labeled. It doesn't yeah, fucking yeah. matter. Yeah. But in my mind, I know I'm like, okay, 
here's how his movement's showing up. This knee is flying into extension too early. The weight's shifting back into the hips. And then he's having to do whatever it takes, yeah. <laughs> whatever low back exercise you want to call it to, yes, to, to get the weight up. Yeah. And, and here's the other thing too, is like, I think let's just use this, this last three or four minutes of conversation as, as something for me to rant about. <laughs> you have, we, we're saying, we're essentially saying the same two things. Mm-hmm. The way that you view it and understand it makes more sense to you because of your experience. But, but essentially, we're trying to accomplish the two same things, right? Mm-hmm. And I can take you giving me that information and say, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> right? Like, That's not what you I should do. Need, you should fucking abuse me. That makes sense. Like, I don't need to be fucking right, dude, you know? And uh, one of the things that sort of, I feel like holds this industry back and, and on a, and a, maybe on a, on a bigger level, people, but we won't get, this is a strength and conditioning podcast. I don't want to go too off the track, but you know, I, a mantra that I've, that I've developed over the years is I don't want to be right. I want to get it right. I want to get it right. I, I don't care if the way I say, you know, like it's for me, it's, it feels like semantics. I want to be open to another person's viewpoint, be willing to challenge my own. And if I'm thinking about something incorrectly, I can be honest with myself. I move off of it. Yeah. For example, you introducing the co-contraction work to me, I could have been stubborn. I could have rejected it. Like all those people in the peer-reviewed evidence-based research paper and said, what is this dumb shit, right? (laughs) But being willing to take on new information and being honest with myself, it's like, okay, well, what I've been doing isn't working, right? Maybe, just maybe. And then what that means is that you have to get outside of your comfort zone, which we talked about earlier, right? And be willing to do something new and be willing to fail and be willing to potentially look stupid in my lifetime fitness gym floor doing a foam roller bridge for the first time. Because trust me, I had plenty of people come up to me and ask me, what are you doing, <laughs> right? But I wanted to use this as an opportunity where, you know, just because my terminology or the way I was, I'm looking at it is different from David's. I love David. We're going to be boys, right? It doesn't have to be a knockdown drag out fight on Instagram or where people get petty in the comment section. Yeah. It's just movement anyway. though. You know, it's just, or whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't, that's why, that's why I'm encouraged. I've encouraged you and other people and, I have to encourage myself to post something on Instagram and I reserve the right to be wrong about whatever I say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely do. But like it it does, it does help you get more clarity and and have conversations with people. That's all. That's why half the reason I'm doing this podcast, just have chat. And that's why I was going to ask you, do you think Daniel will come on jump science? Oh, because I probably have a nice row with him on, on a podcast. Are you kidding me? So he's, so I, you know, I love Daniel. Daniel's my guy. I know. He, he's the most logical, like he's Daniel. He's like a training terminator, dude. Like he has just, and again, like there are some things where he and I disagree on or, or, or the way that we're viewing it or the way that we're saying it is different, but he, I can tell when he's, as he's explaining it, like, oh, he didn't arrive at this conclusion or this way of classifying things by fucking chance. He didn't pull these things out yeah, of thin yeah, air. Yeah. These are things that he has learned through experience 
And while some of the ways we explain it or some of the ways that we arrive to solutions may be different, that doesn't mean they don't work or that doesn't mean that they're not highly effective or worth filing away, you know? But I think you two would make for great contests. <laughs> I do. I think it would be awesome. I think he's brilliant. I, I honestly think he he's absolutely brilliant. When he says something, like, I, I don't think I disagree with anything he says, in fact. It, 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 the same doesn't go the other way around, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But, like, I, I'm cool with that, but I would, um, I would have a conversation with him. I would be prepared to, like, him kind of tear me apart in some ways with his logic and stuff. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm cool with that, but I'd still, like, because I don't have expl- explanations why, for why all the stuff that I think I do works. Now, maybe it all doesn't work, but sure. you know, I don't have well, these time great out, time explanations. Out, time out, time out. Can we just go back to what you just said? Because what you just said is a very powerful and potent lesson that I've learned is you just said, I don't have explanations for everything that I do. But what, but what you do know is that these things make a difference and they drive change. And that change is positive and affects the people that you're working with in a very profound way. Right? Is that mm, fair? I think so. So, and I think I heard, oh, I forget his name. So forgive me when we finally arrive at who you are. He used to work with the Knees Over Toes guys. Uh, uh, Jeff, flexible. Yes. Jeff, I apologize, man. I love your stuff. Jeff uh, alluded to this and in, in one of y'all's prior conversations where the first evidence is anecdotal. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, I can know something works and is effective. Going back to your 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 200 friends on the peer-reviewed paper, right? It is perfectly acceptable if someone asks you, how does this work? Exactly. Exactly how does this work? To say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I have a theory. I have an idea. I can't quite prove it. But here are some results that show that I could be on the right track, right? Yeah. That's perfectly acceptable. So I did, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I just think that if... Because I, I feel like what happens is that people don't have the answer. And so they start pulling shit out of their ass. Yeah. And they start trying to justify what they're doing as opposed to just, just tell the truth, man. It's okay yeah. if you don't have a textbook answer to something. Yeah. That's where someone like Daniel would crucify you. <laughs> you, start, you start pulling shit out of your ass. <laughs> he yeah. starts applying the pressure. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I think... I, I I think that Dan, I don't want to give him a bad rap here because he's not, I think he comes across as real intense, right? And his posts, he can be very black and white. And But when you get him, just like you and I are right now, it's not the case. Like when someone sees me for the first time, I'm 6'3", 225 pounds. I can come across as intimidating. I'm a fucking teddy bear, dude. <laughs> I was, I know. you know, like... If we weren't doing this podcast right now, we would be laughing and cutting up the entire time. There, nothing would be serious. Our real conversations could not be recorded and put no. on the internet. No. You know, and Dan in that way is the same. I don't think it would be a tear you apart thing. I think that you two would have a productive combo. I'm going to get him on. Yeah, I it's think done. I, 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 it's I would like to. I would like to chat with him definitely. I think he's good. The um, I think he's brilliant. Actually, the uh, remember I told you that that. Uh, maybe I'll save it for his podcast if he comes on. But the, <laughs> the what did I say? Oh, I, I, I put up a post about uh, this separate to the first time he messaged me. I the, talked to him about this. The transfer of training one. 
Yeah, so I put up a post about that shitting on, kind of shitting on transfer training. And um, I was just saying, oh, I was just saying that, that, that there is a negative transfer as well with involved and everything you do has in, in life has positive and negative repercussions. And one part of the post was, I said, if you go out for a few beers, you're going to wake up a bit sick the next day. And he, he said, uh, I don't know, he said like great post or some, something like that, but I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't be sick the next morning after a few beers. And I just wrote, hey, man, this is in the comments. And he, he goes, at least 12. <laughs> so, so I said, I'm coming to Texas. <laughs> okay. This, I, I talked to him about something totally different. Right. This is way better. That's way better. At least 12. So, yeah. Dan, so, yeah. Dan, on, hey, and seriously, you would love, Austin, Texas would love to have you. Yeah, man. So, Who's going to Elon Musk is in Texas now, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Austin. Yeah. yeah. So Austin next Friedman's has, in Texas. John Danaher is after going to move into Texas. Everyone oh, is my, moving to Texas. My, my daughter trains at his jujitsu facility. No way. Cool. I swear to God. I didn't know that him until cool. Kier. I think Kier mentioned the man in Chris Letty, who, tra- who um, is, is our coach as well, was on about him before. And he's just, mm-hmm. I've just heard about him everywhere recently. And nice guy. Like, Super guy. humble. It's one of the, uh, he, you know, he comes out and say, Hey, he goes, Hey, you know, and, uh, and, uh, but he's just a weapon and brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my client, the guy who's six, eight, John, yeah, he, he works with him as well. So Austin's the place to be, man. It's the it place to be. Like it. It looks you like got to get here. Yeah, man. I'm going to do a tour next year or maybe I'll just come to Austin for a while. Just come to Austin. Skip all the other nonsense. Yeah, man. Right, where where do people go to find you? Sure. Right now, the easiest place to to find me, uh, where I'm putting out the most information and content, is Instagram. That's at Tim Riley Training. Uh, I also have a YouTube page, which uh, has a uh, has some stuff on it, not a ton, um, but you can subscribe there as well. It's also Tim Riley Training. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, if you're ever in Austin, Texas, I train at the Collective. And uh, you can DM me and show up and I'll be happy to take you through a squat and do some right, toe contractions and all the stuff. Recommend it. Highly recommend it. Tag me in some NFL guy cramping for foam roller bridge, will you? Oh, I'm going to make it a priority now. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, no, I, I'm the lacrosse guy, so I can say I trained a lacrosse person. Oh, he, my lacrosse guy hates it the most. He hates it. <laughs> hates it. Yep. Uh, hey, you're, you're, oh, my microphone just went. No, no, I hear you. There we go. We're done anyway. We're out of here. Okay. Awesome, man.